Welcome back to the Effort of Everything podcast. I'm your host, Jason Kleep, and on today's episode, we have two of my favorite people on the show, Dr. Kelly Sarrett and Chris Hinshaw, talk about kids and fitness. And I'm labeling this part one because I'm hoping to have a part two, a part three, a part four. I think this subject is extremely important. I know all three of us love talking about it. Topics today, we talk about building athleticism and what role does the gym play in that for young athletes? Teen CrossFit Games athlete, movement as a skill and making sure that kids are having fun. Of course, we touch base on hot, cold therapy for kids because I'm really interested in that. And we finish it off by talking about this subject that I think Kelly did an amazing job highlighting, which is at the end of high school, will my kids still want to compete, play, etc., in the sports that they're currently in? And I found that to be a remarkable question to ask and something that we could lean on as we're taking our kids to the journey of fitness. Before we get into this incredible episode with two of my favorite people, I want to send a shout out to our friends at O2. Shout out to Dave on closing his recent funding round and being labeled the official recovery drink of the CrossFit Games. O2 is a drink that we sell in NC Fit locations all over, and we love O2. We have for a very long time. If you're a gym owner out there, or you're an athlete, make sure to check out the podcast show notes to find out more information about how you could sell O2 within your gym or go check out their products. So shout out to O2. Let's dive in now to a great episode with Chris and Kelly about kids and fitness. Let's go. So the band is here. Uh, Chris Hinshaw, Kelly Starrett, thank you for uh, joining us on the show to talk about kids, talk about training. You know, I was I was, I was on a, a call with uh, Chris the other day and we were talking about training and I was in particular talking about Ava and Caden. I was like, well, you know, Kelly and I have had amazing conversations. He's like, yeah, you know, I'm really interested because I've been training a lot of CrossFit Games athletes. And I just think that this conversation about training kids in regards to strength, in regards to endurance, it just needs to be, it, it just needs to be um, demystified, spoken about in a more like as things have evolved, you know, it's not the way it was 30 years ago. I think training's evolved. I think what we know has evolved, but yet I still think there's a lot of stigmas around training children in particular with strength or aerobic capacity. Like we've talked about Chris and things that I'm dabbling with the kids is like cold and hot exposure. Like I feel almost like I'm doing something wrong, but I want to see where the, what can this do for our children? So I want to start the conversation off today and just discuss training for children. Let's see where the conversation goes. You guys are both world-renowned in what you do. You travel the world. You meet with tons of people. You train kids all the time. I can't think of a better group to have this conversation. So I guess, you know, to kind of start off with, I would be curious, um, you know, on from a physical therapy, muscular skeletal system, um, Kelly, you know, Chris and I were talking about the endurance side from a strength side. Where do we start? You and I have talked about this before, but where are you at today compared to maybe where you're at 10 years ago? And let's just rock and roll, man. Let's start by setting a few baseline kind of foundational ideas. First of all, kids learn best in play. And what we're really trying to say is under these conditions, we're really trying to develop kids who can move, kids who can problem solve, kids who like to play, kids who like to be active. Okay, so that, that's our first sort of order of business. We can take a step back, kind of a different lens, and say, what's essential for being a human being? 
What is it? What are the skills that humans should integrate and work on? And underneath that are specific positions. What I can tell you, for example, is if you just take uh, my eighth grade daughter, who's 13, uh, but who is f almost 5'10 now. And, uh, you know, how strong can a 13 year old girl be, Chris? You know, how, and it turns out not very strong. Why? Because she's a 13-year-old developing child who's putting all her energy into growing. But what that doesn't mean is that we only just play, play, play. Because what we're finding now is we've heard forever we should our kids should play multiple sports, be multiple sports athletes. And what we were trying to do in that, one is give our sort of primary movement system a break. So if I'm swimming, 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 <clears throat> now I'm playing soccer. And if I just play soccer, maybe I, I don't develop these other skills. <clears throat> but the problem is underneath there is that we were hoping that if I just played enough sports, I would expose my child to enough movement and enough movement patterning and enough practice that they would become a skilled person. They would become a skilled mover. That would be, that would be enough sort of fruits and vegetables and protein and sunlight in that movement language of a sport that my kid would grow. And so... What I can tell you is that that was always a good model to put kids into as many different exposures, as many different environments as they could, but it was always incomplete. And so there is a model where we, I think, romanticize. Well, back in the 70s, I played nine sports and that was good enough for me. And I was like, yeah, and you couldn't squat and now your back is messed up and you had terrible running technique. So there was always a need for some technical technical training with our kids always. And what ends up happening then is so funny because the gym is like the safest place in the whole world. Like if you want to injure your kid, go play soccer. Oh my gosh. But if you want to control and have the safest environment, let me work on pull-ups and push-ups and air squats with your child. Like this is the only place where I can control the variables. And ultimately what we're trying to do is say, Hey, what is it a human being needs to be able to do? They have to be able to put their arms over their head and take their shoulders into extension. They have to be able to, you know, figure out how to coordinate their movements. They need to work on efficiency. We need to load tissues because it takes this long to build bony bone density and, and develop aerobic capacities. And so ultimately the gym is really just about exposure. And what the child needs is not necessarily what the elite athlete needs, of course. But as I came back to that first idea of how strong you need to be, so much of the gym is about developing coordination and efficiency and, and strength will happen as a mat or, or power or skill will happen as we reinforce those base sort of skills. But if you're not taking the hip into extension, either through running or lunging or elevated split squats, or you're teaching your kids how to jump and land in a lunge position, then when are you going to expose that? When is that going to be exposed? And so what people need to do is stop thinking about, hey, is weight training bad for my kid? But hey, my child is not being exposed to crucial positions. It gets a little, I'll, I'll stop talking in a second. It gets a little easier sometimes when we're thinking, hey, you know, uh, running or sort of classic model structural swimming kind of things. But you know, that for parents, it feels like, hey, that's safer, it's safe for my kid to play a hundred, you know, volleyball games or a hundred soccer games or a hundred swim meets. But, you know, I'm really worried about them doing a push up. 
You know, like we haven't defined the term. So when we say, is it safe? What I'm really saying is, man, your kid is loading all the time. How much formal skills do they have to go kind of do those things? And when we end up testing that, when we see a bunch of middle school kids being assessed for ACL, jump and land on a single leg, and 49 of 50 girls fail the test, then what we have to say is, oh, there's something about the environment that hasn't set up this child to be able to coordinate their movements. And the one child who does pass the test happens to be my daughter, who's had some formal movement training. And that, that's really where we need to be wrapping our heads around in terms of continuing to give the kid the movement language so they can play new sports, feels good, et cetera, et cetera. Do I think that every child should be in some aerobic-based sport? Yes. Do I think every child should be able to work on hanging from a bullet bar and monkey bars? Yes. And I, and I can have those movements, but reframing the conversation from the set, I think, is the, is the important piece. You know, I love what you said, and I'm curious what Chris has to say about this, but I, I love the way you said that. Like, we need to reframe the way we think from strength training or this movement is bad for kids to looking at it in terms of what is my kid not being exposed to? Because ultimately, and I think, Chris, you could probably shine a lot of light on this with your background being, you know, being in triathlons, being in this long endurance, uh, you know, aerobic events, you ran, bike, and swam. And you worked in these modalities tremendously. And you've probably seen children, I imagine, who train in those similar lanes who then have deficiencies elsewhere. And I wonder, looking at your experience, taking what Kelly was saying, I wonder if those athletes, if you looked at them in that pillar and you say, well, they're missing extension in the hip they're, or whatever that is, and you worked that in the gym and then pulled it back into their sport, you wonder how much that would improve our children's risk of getting injured and overall athleticism when they actually get into their sport. So curious your thoughts, training also a lot of teens in the CrossFit games. I know you've worked a lot in that area. I mean, this is where Kelly and I, we've had some solid conversations. I mean, we, we, we both coach elite level athletes. And one of the things that we, 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 what hangs over our heads all the time is we, we don't want to make mistakes. We want to take advantage of opportunity um, so that we maximize their adaptation. The worst thing that that we feel like we can we can do to an athlete, an elite athlete, is is have them reflect, you know, after their career is over and go, man, it could have been better. And so what you're trying to do is take advantage of of your experiences as well as current research that's out there to to maximize the efficiency in their training. And when Kelly was talking about on the strength side and and you know, that's that's certainly not my core competency, but I, I did recognize sprinting is is in the movement of, you know, a monostructural sport, and it could be swimming, cycling, running, rowing, any of those. Um, there's a lot of commonality there that it's fine motor skill development. Um, one of the things that strength does provide uh, is a neurological efficiency and I look back on my career uh, in focusing and primarily swimming and, and triathlons, but the movement of running. And I think I lacked because I never went in and lifted heavy until I was, you know, 40 plus years old. I had coordination related issues. Um, I, I know that, um, you know, I'll give you an example. I ran beta breakers and there was a hundred thousand people doing it. And I remember I was about 19 years old. Uh, by this time I was an all American swimmer. And I remember thinking, man, if I get hit from the side, I, 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 I will fall over. 
Like I had no lateral stability because all of my training was just one continuous direction. Um, and just that alone was weakness. And that's where I, I take back and I look at, at what I'm doing today. And, and there's no doubt that I was missing some key ingredients uh, that I didn't apply back when I was young. And when I'm talking about young, I'm talking about those adolescent years, peak growth years, uh, you know, from the ages, you know, as, as a boy, from the ages of 13 to 20 years old. So remember that we can, you know, if we, if we look at movement as just a behavior, <clears throat> you know, someone being competent in math or being competent in um, <clears throat> writing, ultimately we're talking about what are the core competencies, what are the core positions that would give my child a movement language to go play or pick up a new sport. And it's important to understand that when we value or when I view movement systems or, or methodologies or techniques or tools, I, I ask, does this explain all phenomenon? Does this allow me to teach a child and then continue to build on this execution as this child becomes an adolescent, as this adolescent becomes a teenager? So you know, one of the nice things about working with coaches like Chris is that, you know, if you're working with teenagers and you're also working with world champions, you can sort of begin to connect the dots where you're working from the top down and from the back up where you can start to say, hey, I can tell that this technique that I'm teaching is very simple and it's in a constrained play form and we're working and, and it's, it's about children feeling and understanding what's going on. And then I don't ever have to say, okay, that's what we did when we were young, but this is what we do as an adult. Those skills continue to mature and just evolve. So uh, the same thing is true with like Mike Bergner and Olympic lifting. You know, one of the things that I learned early on from Coach B was I need to be competent enough in my coaching that I can coach an Olympic athlete at that level, a world champion or a professional athlete. But I also need to be able to coach a young person or a new person at the skill so that I can see how my thinking evolves as the skill evolves, as the person evolves. And clearly there are little variations in the technique or variations in the ideas as we become more sophisticated. But ultimately we need to see and have phenomenon that you know, carries all the way through. So it's not like, hey, we have this language which is classic Greek, which is what we teach children. But over here, now we're in historic Spanish. And you know, my point is that it's really useful to be able to say, here is what is essential. And look, like, for example, I teach push press to every kid I work with. We press, 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 you know, and we start with seesaw press on one side or double side. And then we move to push press. Why? Because I need them to be able to jump with a flat foot from a flat foot without those knee faults that I teach push press to every kid we work with. I teach kettlebell swing to every kid before even deadlift. We kettlebell swing. Why? Because it's allows me to get in a hinge. The speed constrains the system. And then that hinge now allows me to go to a, an advance further up the, the chain. But what you're seeing is kids don't have fundamental movement skills. And what we're looking at is what the physiologic reaction to that movement skill is, which is I got stronger. 
And what I can tell you unequivocally is that early, working with kids is not usually about strength. It's one, about tissue exposure. And two, as coordination develops, as motor efficiency develops, things look like the kid got stronger, but the kid just became coordinated in their movement. And, you know, and that's really the magic. So you know, just keep in mind here that, you know, we're what we're trying to do is say what's essential for the person and then to say what tools are available to me and when am I going to expose this? So here's a good example. Parents are going to be battling getting this movement in when their kids are in sport. And my daughter, Caroline is a nationally ranked goalie in water polo. She is a, you know, she is an aerobic athlete, but really it's a power aerobic athlete. She, she can tread water with, with one hand shielding her eye for two hours while she, you know, and breathing through her nose. And it's not even a big deal for her, her treading water and water polo, but then she needs to be explosive. And, you know, one of the things that we're, you know, doing with her is saying, Hey, how do we fit in all of these movement skills while she's playing this sport, because I, you know, it's not like she's swimming thousands of laps. She's playing a goalie, which is all about pattern recognition and repetition for her. So slightly different need for what she loves to do. And what I've settled in on is three or four times a week. I have 20 to 25 minutes where we do a skill strength or a strength skill where I'm working on a couple positions and shapes that she can handle with her volume. So it's light, light strength and conditioning at the university, at these pro settings, full practice, full strength and conditioning to make the sport better. Well, here I have, I have all of these other competing, you know, uh, my kid is a, she's only 13. She has to go to school. There's all these other things. And we're going to go play water polo. Where am I going to work this in? I work in these little movement skills where we do things like pressing snatch balance with wobbly stuff, rear foot elevated split squats. We, we work on foundational positions and because Caroline's been training a long time, we can make those a little bit more sophisticated than a kid who's never done an overhead squat before. But the bottom line is it's all about exposure to positions as a side effect. I get inoculated. My kid doesn't compensate. My kid develops competency. My kid is able to recruit all of her, you know, sort of physiology to expose to a position and she gets faster. Yeah, you know, this is a really so a soundbite or not a soundbite, but what I'm picking up from you, Kelly, and something I need to take a, a a better job with my kids in. You know, I try and expose my kids to jujitsu, martial arts, to different positions, but I could do a better job. I think when I'm looking at training, especially Ava, I think about like bang for the buck. So I'm trying to do things like thrusters and kind of working larger ranges of motion, trying to provide an impact. But I do. You know, I see deficiencies when I have her do step ups because of maybe a one leg weaker than the other. And I think I need to do a better job of trying to expose. I have a tendency to kind of gravitate towards the movements that I think can provide her a big bang for the buck. But what I'm not thinking about is the shapes, positions and exposure across the board. And I think that's a nice takeaway for me with training children is that if they're always in one domain, we need to get them outside of that as much as we're aware of or how we could do that. And I think, you know, Kelly, I mean, excuse me, Chris, when you're working with CrossFit Games athletes, what is your youngest CrossFit Games athlete that you work with? Uh, 12. 12. So 12. <laughs> I, I, I have to ask this because I think it's, it, I think it's a natural thing that would come up. 
the sport of CrossFit has definitely helped us open up these type of conversations where mm-hmm. prior to CrossFit, I don't think you would have spoken about, okay, well, how do I make a football player better? Well, maybe I need to help him at a younger age in the gym, expose him to these different movements because it, like what Kelly was sharing. So I think, I think CrossFit has done that a lot for us, but I also think what CrossFit's done is it's now made people almost specialists in fitness and they're no longer getting as much play in. And so I'm curious from mm-hmm. your perspective, working with 12 year olds, is that a good or a bad thing that they're now becoming specialists in fitness, but maybe they're no longer playing and engaging with other kids in different ways. I'm, I'm wondering your thoughts there. So a lot of the issue comes from the parents. The parents, um, I believe their intentions are good. Uh, it's just that they're misguided. Um, and the concern I have with these teens is the parents are 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 in a rush that they want to see immediate performance and they 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 are motivated the parents are by performance versus the kids enjoyment and they're confusing the two of those things like i was hearing you mention about ava and I, I think that you're 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 onto something there that that you can get involved in Ava's step ups and and you could offer variations and step ups and have her focus on improvement of her technique. But who really cares at at her age? What she should be doing is having a good time and and doing step ups, but thinking it's almost like play. Um, and that's the problem with these these young uh, CrossFit uh, specialists is that they want to focus on weakness. And I took a lot of heat. I mean, if we talk specifically about Haley Adams, I took a lot of heat with Haley. Um, and I worked with her from when she was 16 years old and she was very late in developing. I mean, she didn't hit full maturity until 20 years old. And one of the things that was very clear about Haley was she had great capacity. Uh, she was excellent in longer time domains, but her ability to, to sprint, her ability to lift heavy was a limiting factor. But my issue was, is, is until she reaches full maturity, who's to say that those limitations will still be there after she's done growing? Let's create a much more well-balanced program and keep her motivation high. I mean, the worst thing I think that we can do with these young athletes is, is have them think of it as a job. And the issue I have with those young athletes is retention. I mean, let's face it, there's an incredible volume of studies that talk about early, you know, young specialists that, you know, sports specialists that focus on, you know, an independent individual sport at an early age and their ability to, to, to sustain in that sport beyond 13 years old is, is it's limited. Matter of fact, you know, I pulled a study before this and it's, it's interesting the number of people that fall out. It's 70% of kids fall out by the age of 13. And another 81% of those get injuries because of overuse, because of specialization. So that always sits in the back of my mind. We're trying to create lifelong fitness instead of fitness to the age of 18. You know, Jason, you said, you know, bang for the buck. You know, the, the real question is how, what is the amount of fitness that is appropriate, right? So, you, you know, for you and your, your sort of your mindset of busy working professionals, there are things that we know have a huge metabolic wallop, 
and I can get very good conditioning with very few movements. Let me introduce you to Mr. Assault Bike. Let me introduce you to the thruster. Let me, and suddenly, you know, holy moly, you can be, I mean, if it was just about physiology, I would just strap everyone to an, uh, an exercise bike and be like, let's go. We're going to bleed through the eyes today, kids. Right. right, right but we know right. that that doesn't transfer very well. So it's okay to say, Hey, look, my kids do need to breathe hard, but how am I going to do, do that and get that again with Caroline, you know, what's nice is that I challenge her position sometimes with breathing hard. So that's how, and because it's, I let her choose the music and it's short and she can wrap her head around it and she starts to see how it makes her a more effective swimmer. So for example, Caroline just swam, it was a goalie in the national championships for the Olympic development program. So that's the 16 teams from all over the country. They take the top 200 girls and they make these 16 teams roughly and and at her age group and they all compete in a big tournament in brackets right and caroline swimming against the best playing against the best players in the country scored four goals as a goalie which just so we're clear goalies typically don't score goals very much yeah i'm right? not a water polo expert yeah. but i was thinking and that's so <laughs> she would go down to a you know half court, a little bit beyond half court and take these shots. But because <laughs> so her positions are so efficient, she gets good mechanics to the ball. People are like, why is your daughter so strong? I'm like, well, we work on things like tempo overhead squats. And I work on her hanging from the pull-up bar and we do ski erg. And I make her muscle snatch every single day where, you know what I mean? In the, in, 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 I'm like, oh, we don't have any time today. Good. Here's, you're going to give me 20 muscle snatches with the women's bar. And then that's what we did today. So I'm constantly just looking at these movements as vitamins, as reinforcements, as skills, so that it makes her play. She has more accessibility to her play. But suddenly she's like, uh-uh, dad, you know, I'm starting to get – she led the team and probably had the most assists of anyone playing because her passing is so good because she can throw the ball all the way down. So a kid can be swimming and she can, and she's starting to get the connection between the things that we're doing, these little doses and how it lets her have more fun in the pool. So just keep that in mind. And that was not overnight. This is me like dragging my kid out and, and just, you know, and really negotiating because I, don't like to invent games. If you want to do that, go meet Pivotal Coaching. Go work with Brand X and Jeff and Mickey Martin. If you want to look how games and fitness, it's not my jam. I don't want to be a PE teacher. I am a strength coach, and my kids have learned that like we're going to strength coach this. That's the way it works. But what's happened to Chris's point is that we always have the skill be the limiting piece, and that's what we're working on. And that there are so many ways to challenge that skill and position with load, with speed, with cardiorespiratory demand. Like when Caroline does rear foot elevated split squats, which is just like a staple in my diet of training athletes. You rear, elevate the rear foot and you squat. Single leg, looking on the stance. I hold, give her either a sandbag to hold because it's not a barbell, it's not a dumbbell. She can dump it anytime, but it forces her torso upright. But also, I also have a bag that's filled with water that sloshes back and forth. And she hates the bag because it is so wobbly and she's, it's so gnarly. So I have this 25-pound water bag that she holds. 
And once again, there's infinite ways where I can make this fundamental position excellent or, you know, or, or challenge the shape. And ultimately, it's all about the core idea and something that we've believed for a long time. We define the best athlete as the person who can pick up the new skill the fastest, the person who can integrate their fitness, integrate their skill, integrate their problem solving to a new movement solution, new sport, new game, new task. That's really what we're trying to do as kids. As a coach, my job is to prepare the athlete to be coached. Hey Chris, that what so can I? So that's interesting to me because it makes me think about. You remember at the games they had that baseball throw, and Jay. I mean, I know this is a tough subject hey, for hey, you. Hey, 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 hey. <laughs> <laughs> but what Kelly? I mean, you're right. It's when someone announces an event like that, everybody should be like, not even thinking about. I know how to throw a ball. I know the technique in throwing a ball. And, and it's interesting to me that, that, that was a struggle for you, Jay. Yeah. I mean, I had never worked that shape, that position. I had never Mm -hmm. worked through that range of motion, you know, growing up, I never played baseball. I used to race BMX bikes and, you know, and then, and then football. And that was never, I never worked that motor pattern of connecting that, um, and that was very, very difficult for me. I mean, it was definitely an acquired skill that I was not able to handle. But Kelly, isn't it true though that I mean that should be something at play when you're a kid, and once you develop those motor patterns, as an adult, you still have them. It's even you're not going to be great at it, but you'll know how to do it. And that's really what I love. What this conversation is about is how do I start to look at movement as a skill? Mm-hmm. Practice doesn't make perfect. Practice makes permanent. And it's going to take a lot of exposure. And what what it means is, man, instead of being overwhelmed, I'm like, oh, there's so many things to develop. There's so many skills. I have a balance board in or this thing called a slack block in my kitchen. My kids just mess around on their balance all the time. Caroline does dance, these funny TikTok dances and other dance with her best friend up the street where they, they mirror and they dance and they move in these different ways. Caroline is a goalie. So guess what we go and do? We throw the softball in front of the house. We just do long toss. We just go out and we throw for 10 minutes. And the exposure of her actually throwing a ball all the time turns out translates really well to the sport that she does. And so <clears throat> my kids have a sliding sport. They, we love that they ski. They are all on the river. They, you know, I mean, we, we, we try to do is say, hey, look, what are the sort of pieces here instead of getting caught in the weeds of like, what's my kid's 5k time or what's their 1k time trial, you know, on the bike or so those, those systems are going to take a second to develop. And there's a reason why some of our best, you know, like if we take Peter Sagan right now, who is a incredible cyclist, he could probably be a world, he's a world champion, but he probably could have been a world champion in multiple sports because he was so athletic. So the question is, how do we continue to build athleticism and what role can the gym play in that athleticism? That's really the key. And, the, the, and that's the sort of the view. I have an idea, for example, you know, why Chris's work is so important to me is that if I think that if children don't get exposed to some kind of aerobic capacity, aerobic competency, 
early on, it's really hard to make that up later on in life. So um, I want my kids to play something where they have to breathe hard and do a skill once in a while. So what do you okay. mean by that? I'm, I'm curious about that because, so you're saying at a younger age, if you could start producing some type of lung capacity, you think it carries over really well. It's harder Soccer, to Soccer, basketball, to start hockey, swim team. There's all these different ways, but unless you really start to expose your kid to what it's like to breathe hard and how to con- coordinate their bodies while breathing hard, it's a lot harder to start when you're like 18 and you're like, oh, I want to pick up a 5K. And that's what we see. And it's why there are so many injuries in all the things that we do uh, when people are like jumping into their first you know, training kind of exposures of like, you know, doing a, a half marathon or an AIDS run. They, I mean, those injuries go through the roof as people do these, these because they haven't ever run, they haven't ever been exposed to this, and they're now going to get fit or change their body composition by learning a skill, Olympic sport. Huh. And so, Chris, when you talk about these 12-year-olds that are getting into CrossFit Games, and I'm really wondering – it's very difficult because they're choosing their sport to be CrossFit, but is that too early for them to make that dictation? Like, and what are the side effects of that? Because I, I'm, I'm really like, I'm wondering like if I was 12 years old and I was introduced to CrossFit, but maybe I, I'm developing all these skills, but I'm not really playing with other kids. I wonder how long these kids will be able to stay in the sport because they'll get too burnt out back to your point about 70, 80%. So a lot of these kids, I I just wondering the the future of the sport of CrossFit in terms of the youth. And I wonder if there shouldn't even be a bracket until you're like, you know, 18. This just, I'm just asking the question. Right. Because the focus should be on enjoyment. I mean, if we're really focusing on, on the long term and we're, we're trying to create a, a lifestyle of health and fitness, we've got to be careful. I mean, even though it's CrossFit and you're doing a variety of movement, it, it's, it's specializing in, in one thing. You're just going into the gym. And, uh, you know, I mean, we've all have, we all have kids. And one of the things that we, we notice early on when our kids start playing with other ones is just exactly what they're doing, you know, when they're, when they're playing. I mean, I look at the movement of running and, you know, they're doing short intermittent bursts um, in multiple directions. Um, and it's always at a high intensity. They're never doing long, continuous running. They're developing their speed, their, their balance, their agility, their stability. Um, and, and that's where, if you look in contrast, like, should I take a, a, a prepubescent teen and take them on long runs with me because I want to spend time with them and I want them to do what I do. Um, and that's where I have a problem. I have a problem where a kid, their, their needs are different than the adult's needs. And I, I find that, that parents need to, to respect what the child needs to do. The problem is, as we're talking here, we're having this conversation because we somewhat struggle with that direction. And, and that's what I also try and figure out as well. It's not an easy solution out there. I agree. Um, Yeah. It's, and, and that's where it's like, I would have to reach out to someone who is, is, you know, more of a, a, a coach that specializes in strength because what I know is, is on the, the aerobic and anaerobic side in terms of, of, cardiorespiratory endurance and muscular stamina. 
So <coughs> back to the, so where, what types of things do you think in general? So the exposure component, I, I think we could all completely understand. I think keeping them motivated, inspired is, is great. One of the things not to shift this gear completely, but I am really curious in particular, Kelly, on your thoughts here, because you do a lot of hot, cold therapy. I have a new sun and I have a cold plunge. And I have to ask this question because as a parent, so I'm like almost trying to like convince myself of this. And here's what I mean. So Ava goes, had been in the cold plunge with me every day for 14 days, including this morning. And um, I've had to like convince myself that it's safe and it's okay for her, even though the temperature we have it is at 55, which is basically like being in the ocean, let's just say. But I, but I have, there's like this stigma that by exposing my children to these, these um, kind of extreme colds or extreme heats, maybe not extreme, but more, you know, higher areas that I'm doing them a disservice, but I see so much benefit to it. I mean, I noticed that in, in, when, when Ava comes down, she works out with me, her mood starts to adjust a little bit after she's out of that cold plunge. She's literally a different human. She's now, you know, inspired herself to overcome a small micro adversity, a small challenge because it's uncomfortable. She's getting more comfortable with the uncomfortable she's getting in there. And when she gets out, whether it's the endorphin dump or whatever happens, she's literally a different person. So what I'm curious about is when you think about the kids and the evolution of children in training, and we talk about CrossFit and what it's done, which has been amazing. But now we're thinking about hot, cold work and other types of things that we could do. Um, I don't want to call them hacks, right? That's, that's probably not the right term. Because a lot of this stuff is super old school. It's like, hey, wait, you want my kids to kind of be exposed to different temperatures and to work through different mm -hmm. shapes and ranges of motion. It's like, oh, sounds like, okay. But where is hot, cold with kids these days? I know you have that, um, Kelly. I'm just curious your thoughts there. Well, I'll start by saying that kids aren't able to regulate their temperature as well as adults. And so what we see is that our kids would jump in the sauna and then be in there for like two minutes and be like, I'm out. And as they've gotten older, they're spending more and more time in the sauna. So, you know, trusting your children around, hey, this is uncomfortable, but also if it's 110 degrees and we're in the desert on a river trip, you know, there's no place to hide there. So some of this is the death of, of comfort, which is really what, you know, if now we're, we're talking about the, you know, the, you know, Marcus Aurelius and the Stoics and, you know, some of what we're trying to do is teach our kids how to self-regulate and how to auto-regulate to be comfortable with a little bit of discomfort, which is what sport is, which is psychological discomfort, which is, you know, and, and ultimately what we're just dosing that out. And as you, the, think about what, what your daughter looked like the first time she got in the cold plunge versus, you know, day 14, she knows how to feel. She knows what to anticipate. Sort of these feelings that happen when you jump in the cold water are not, you know, as she, combats what her brain and body is telling her she has a framework for understanding that which is exactly what we should be doing when we look at again movement as a behavior managing discomfort as a behavior having a difficult conversation with the best friend who hurt your feelings as a behavior it's all the same thing it really is the, all the same thing are you trying to heat adapt your child and activate their heat shot protein like stop that stop this is entertainment, exposure, play, 
And what we've really tried to do is just seed our life, seed it like so that they're little traps. Like I've had a slack line in my backyard for a billion years. And now my kids jump on it sometimes. And, you know, the, they play in the sauna and sometimes they just go up to their waist in the, in the cold water. Both my girls turns out they both play water polo. So they're in the cold water all the time. That's not a big deal for them to handle that exposure because they have some framework for it. So ultimately, when notice that we've not talked about like, am I worried I'm going to stunt my kids growth by teaching them to jump and land? Like that's a really weird conversation. They jump and land all the time. Cause what we really think is somehow if I expose my child to adult things, then they're not prepared for it. And it's because we're not very educated ourselves about this. And because you are doing it yourself and you're not that dad at the chain link fence being like, get in that cold water and, you know, and your daughter's crying. That's not what this is about at all. So, you know, trusting the exposure, having these little exposures and then wrapping it in the greater context of play and development is really, really crucial. As Chris said, you know, it would be much better for your child to pick up a sport where they have to be aerobically fit to play the sport than it is to drag your kid on a long bike ride. And we know that, and we now have electric bikes in our family and, Caroline and Georgia will go ride with us and chit chat while we're suffering on our acoustic mountain bikes. Our kids are flying along on the electric bikes with us and still getting all of the skill development and all the aerobic development in, in the context of play. And that's, what's really, we have to keep managing. You know, I think about when I was a kid, I, I was in competitive age group swimming and I was a skinny kid. I remember eight years old, I was 50 pounds and, uh, the pools back then in California, they weren't heated. You no. swim in a local high school pool <laughs> and it was summertime. And I mean, there's no money it, for that. There's no heated uh, pools for that. Yeah. Right. I mean, it was in the 60s. And, you know, imagine a kid. Yeah. Granted, it's summertime, but, you know, your swim workout is from, you know, let's say it's from six to seven o'clock at night or, you know, five to six thirty. That was a brutal experience, and it was because I was late in developing. I was a skinny kid, and I was miserable. I hated it, and I, I left swimming for four years because I had such a bad experience, and luckily, my parents, they were fine with whatever I wanted to do so long as I was willing to do something, and whatever that something was, they were supportive of it, um, but like you said, Kelly, I mean, the parents, they're, they just... In some, in many cases, they're just not informed. And I think that's also a problem nowadays. I encounter it all the time with parents. They're not quite sure what to do. There's just too much information out there and they're not sure on the game plan. They don't know what they should do, especially with the teen in those, those, those peak growth years um, and, and how to maximize um, their health and fitness, but also to, to maintain it long-term. And, and there's a unique um, problem in, in teens with high school. Um, the motivation of the sports specialist coach in high school, which is typically taught by, you know, they pay him in California. I think it's, you know, $1,500 for the season, and, which is minimal. And it's usually taught by a parent. Um, the problem is, is that there's motivation is different for them than it is for the athlete. You know, they've got those athletes for, you know, four years and it's not uncommon where I run against, you know, I see an athlete that's, you know, 16, 17 years old and it's over summertime and their coach has told them, 
it's 60 to 70 miles a week. And the goal is 80 miles a week by end of summer. And the kid's 17. So, well, just kind of pulling that thread for a minute, um, Chris, you know, you do come with an interesting background because, well, actually both of you guys do. Um, just from mm -hmm. your guys' difference in sports and paddling, you know, Kelly was obviously, you know, huge into whitewater rafting and with you and your triathlon slash swimming uh, accomplishments uh, at a young age, when did you start doing your first like competition for like triathlons and things of that nature, Chris? Uh, eight, 18 years old. Uh, my so, second event ever was Ironman in Kona. That was your second <laughs> event? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, what the heck? Yeah, well, seriously. <laughs> <laughs> there weren't the steps now, you know, there's a lot of steps in order to get there now, you know, there's these sprints and Olympic and, you know, there's all these steps back then it was just like, well, you know, you can make up your own triathlon in the local swimming pool or you go to Kona. Let, so, let me, I, let me jump in and just reframe yeah. this a little bit. So we've been talking about a little bit of like how much CrossFit is appropriate is CrossFit appropriate. It's not a CrossFit only kind of sport thing. Let's just take, women's soccer. So the ACL injury rate in kids is up over 400% over the last 10 years, um, kids over 14. So we're, we're seeing a tremendous spike up in non-contact ACL injuries. So we have to ask what's going on there. So it's just more kids playing and we're going to break some more eggs. Well, it's such an epidemic where women are tearing their ACLs at six to eight times the rate of men that FIFA, you know, again, this the most profit-driven anti-health system ever. Like FIFA isn't a great organization. But even FIFA was like, holy moly, this is a problem. And they created a really simple program to reduce injury risks. And guess what it's about? It's about hopping and landing on one leg. And it takes about 20 minutes. And the injury risk to the athletes whose coaches do it, even poorly, if they just go through the motions, even not even understand what they're seeing, the injury risk is hugely mitigated. And what I'll say is suddenly, wow, we have a whole bunch of kids playing soccer and the lead organization for soccer was like, hmm, all these kids are getting injured. This is sort of on us. It's the same phenomenon where they realize, hey, we need additional skill input. We need time and exposure of managing these positions and shapes under these conditions. Can I generate force? Can I absorb force? Can I stop force? So those are the three things that the human body has to do. And so this is not endemic to a certain population. And, you know, I'll say that about like my daughter, Georgia, you know, I have a huge genetic drive to move. I'm sure the two of you are the same. If we tested your genes, it would be like you basically have movement ADD. Like you need to move to, to feel better. My daughter, Georgia, does not. She's like 20th, 29th percentile in terms of the same. I'm 99th percentile, need to move, want to fidget, want to play. Carol, Georgia is 29th percentile. But at age 16, she's turning 17 this month, she now recognizes that, hey, I feel better when I play. And now her training is starting to look a little bit more like adult training where we can do hard bike intervals with her. And it's becoming a little bit more adulting, but she has recognized, hey, I need to do these things to feel better and to look a certain way as a woman athlete in high school. And at the same time, her eating has become a lot more sophisticated and she really protects her sleep. So Again, the baseline of what's essential for girls to play soccer without getting injured 
what skills do we load in there and what's the minimum amount and what's the maximum amount. And then how do we make sure that we're protecting our kids on sleep and basic food stuffs. Then, you know, all, like I get in the car after practice and I always have one of those fair life protein shakes for my girls. And is that a perfect food? Nope. But it's 30 grams of protein, some simple calories. It's highly palatable. Everyone in our family will drink it because it tastes good. And I can guarantee that my kid at least is going to have some micronutrients and some macronutrients on board before we can get home. So rinse, wash, repeat for a decade or so. And if your kid is the greatest athlete in the world, don't worry, they will find sport they will become the chosen ones. What we're thinking here is as adults and parents that if I have some secret school program, my kid will become an elite athlete. And that is not the case at all. Well, I want to ask Chris, just, I have to lean back on what you were saying because, and by the way, Kelly, I like what you were just saying about uh, the rinse, wash, yeah. repeat over time that those exposures, it'll all come together. I, I had to ask though, because I think you brought up a really good point and I'm curious what you guys think about this, pulling that thread a little bit more. You know, when you do think about like high school sports, and this is not a jab at high school sports or even or even younger sports, like people are just doing the best they can, right? That's Typically, right. you have a P instructor mm -hmm. who's also doing a bunch of other stuff. You know, they're yeah. not specialists. They're just, they're just like, even in, for example, my kids, right? They're, they're currently playing and they're, you know, the, the adults are just volunteering their time to help the kids out, right? And they're getting exposure from volunteers and they get into high school and these people are getting paid 1500 bucks to support on the season. They're just doing, again, they probably have another job and they're just coming here to support the best they can. However, the challenges you run to, and, and Chris, you brought up a point where you, know, you might have this coach who maybe had, you know, been a track and field athlete 20 years ago, maybe even 30 years ago, but the athletes have evolved and the, the science and the knowledge has evolved. And so these people that are telling them, Hey, go out and run 50, 60 miles, 70 miles. It'd be like the equivalent of like baseball over time has evolved from, hey, I want you to pitch, you know, 500 pitches a game to they've realized like, hey, there's diminishing returns here over time. We can yeah. only let these pitchers pitch so much. Otherwise, those arms are going to get to a point where they just no longer can function well. And so I'm curious what the resolution is here for high school sports and the problems at hand, because a lot of the people there, they just might not be aware of the most up to date I guess, how do you get more of this information out? I mean, in particular, like we're talking about running, Chris. I mean, so you know what I mean? A, yeah, so I, I mean, I'm 100% on board. So I, I actually I opened up uh, an opportunity for people to book time, consulting time with me. And that's number one. I think if you're a high school coach, you've really got your hands full, like you said, Jay. You, you've got so much on your plate. And the problem is, is if you're teaching a particular sport, so let's say it is cross country. Uh, your your problem is is that where do you start and and when i do these consultations i do a lot of them with high school coaches and they're just asking questions and i'm telling you the format is always this a freshman athlete they show talent they 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 become good uh their sophomore year they become great and then their junior year they just aren't progressing as well, as well as they were, right? They're not reaching their goals and they're starting to get some injuries. And then the senior year, they have to adjust their goals because the original goals are now no longer achievable, meaning it's just constant reevaluation. So they see this over their four years. And the solution, when I always ask, like, well, how are you dealing with, you know, their junior and senior year? And they're just stacking on more volume. 
the solution is always just let's give them more. And that's where I see that they're they're in this this rut that they believe more is always better. And what we're finding out is that is not true. That is not true, especially for these, you know, you know, teenagers, um, you know, these juniors and seniors. And what they need to recognize is, you know, how should they be progressing their training to not only keep these athletes motivated and injury free, but also continuous performance improvement. And that's, that's really, I think, ultimately what they should be asking. How do we continuously drive, you know, those two, those three things, performance improvement, motivation, and reduction in injury. There's two things that are <clears throat> have to happen. If you see this as a problem and it's a real problem, what's the solution to the problem? And the solution is to give those coaches and volunteers in high school coaches and middle school coaches and middle school coaches better mm -hmm. resources. So we need to create a Khan Academy for coaches where professional coaches like Chris can scale their thinking and it's free. This is like, hey, you need to come through this foundation or fundamentals so that you can update your, you know, hey, I'm just regurgitating what my high school football coach shouted at me. Water makes you weak. We're more of a uh, gas. You know what I mean? Just like that's what people will default to. They'll default to their own experience. And it's real. So we need to absolutely change that by creating better resources. And um, it's okay. You know, one of the things you can do as a parent is to have a physical practice yourself. And to be engaged in this thinking yourself. You know, one of the things that gets lost here is, you know, the goal of good, there's GPP, general physical preparedness, which is saying, hey, this is what an average person could do to stay fit and healthy. And we're moving bigger weights over larger ranges of motion. We're adding a lot of movement variability. CrossFit's a good example of GPP. But then we have something we call sports preparation training, which means we actually take a, we start to pay attention to the positions. It's not about who did the most work. It's about, hey, I, see how your foot turned out there? See how you uh, couldn't squeeze your butt in this position or you couldn't breathe or you couldn't maintain? We start to add a lot of skill on top of GPP. And that's what, what happens for kids who are starting to play in more sports. The gym becomes a little bit more sophisticated. It's not about fitness. Like it's not about thrusters. It's about, you know, can you have a stable shoulder under these conditions? Sports specific training has one goal to improve the sport performance of my athletes. And what you heard Chris say is that our coaches, when they run into a wall, they add more volume. And that is just another way of challenging position. Ah, oh, the positions may not, this may not be good enough. My kids aren't fit enough versus saying, hey, is the training I'm doing making my athletes faster? Well, just like the work that they're doing in volume, we could ask the same thing in the gym. My, my kids are so tired and so beat up that they don't perform well. That's poor sports-specific training. And again, the only goal during that season is to have a kid run faster and faster and faster. At the end of the season, we can reevaluate their needs, reevaluate their plan, reevaluate the nutrition. But the whole system is important. And what we've got to be better at is communicating those base principles to the people who are teaching our kids, which means as professional coaching environment, we have to do a better job of supporting. Chris has got open office hours, the number of 
emails I answer, questions I take, the same thing. We're trying to help these coaches become better at understanding what they're seeing and understanding the, the real pieces to this. And the thing we haven't talked about is the erosion of sleep. So let me just be clear. If your kid is sleeping less than eight hours a night, they cannot succeed in their sport, period. And that means because seven hours is our minimum threshold for adults on survivability, eight is our minimum threshold for success. And if you're trying to grow, learn a new skill, change your body composition, recover, it's eight plus. And the number of kids I know who don't get eight plus hours of sleep a night is insane. And by the way, if you go to bed at 11 and get up at seven, that's not eight hours of sleep. That's in the sevens of sleep. So if I look at your macronutrients, I look at your hydration, I look at how much sleep you're at. I can't even tell what's working and not working because the things I'm assuming that you're doing well, you're not even doing well. So that's interesting. So when Haley Adams, she, she came here when she turned, she just turned 18 years old to, to live with us uh, for a year and train it at uh, the barn with Rich. And um, this was in December and in Tennessee, it gets dark around 4 PM in December. And so by six 30, Heidi and I, it's like, there's nothing to do. And so we just go to bed yeah. and Haley is sitting there and she's like, guys, like guys, like, what are you doing? And it's like, we're just going to bed. And she's like, I, I, I got, I go to bed at, at like 11. And, and I said, well, okay, just turn everything off when you go to bed. Three days later, she was going to bed. Same thing at 6.30, mostly because she was just nuked from you know the workouts, the training that she was doing. And I was fascinated, Kelly, by like how she was able at 18 years old, she went to bed at 6.30 at night and she'd wake up at 9 a.m. And out, I mean, deep the entire time. I mean, she could pull 12 to 14 hours of sleeping. Um, and, and, and it was consistent. She had no problem in sleeping for 12 hours every day. Um, but she needed that. Yeah. Because she was growing and because of the volume. And mm -hmm. that's a great example of the type one error, the foundational error that most people are making with their young youth adolescence. Add in high school. Add in the demands of, of X, you know, my daughter goes to a very demanding school. She has homework, but you know, we have everyone in our house is in the bed in the tens, early tens at the latest, yeah. you know, and for Caroline, it's even earlier. And they, you know, because they move school late, Georgia doesn't wake up till after seven, doesn't have to wake up till after 7 a.m. So I know she's getting eight plus hours of sleep a night and she puts herself to sleep on our other kids too. So we protect that. And, you know, we're talking about, you know, People are like, is deadlifting dangerous for your child? And I'm like, well, you mean teaching your kid to pick something up with a good technique <laughs> and challenging that? Well, your kid doesn't even sleep. So I would say everything your child is doing is dangerous. You know, I really <laughs> I mean, like, sleep, you know, sleep is yeah. probably one of the biggest factors in terms of mood that I've recognized with children. And injury risk. Oh, and injury risk. I mean, so like exposure from like an athletic perspective, I definitely think you guys have probably more exposure as your kids have gotten older. But for me, I mean, I just see it like at a young age, you know, when they're five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, 10, even, or even older, and they get tired, they, they just start breaking down. They can't make the same type of uh, neurologic, they can't make the same type of decision-making and they just need to sleep. And um, so, yeah, I definitely think prioritizing that here we are. And, and let me jump different stuff. Yeah. And let me jump in and just say, it's tricky. Sometimes my kid can only get pool time from eight to nine or seven 30 to nine. So I pick uh, her up at nine from the pool 
And now I've got to get a snack in her, get her spun down. I don't know the last time you were like, whoa, 90 minutes of practice. I'm going to go to bed in, in five minutes. It never happens. It just doesn't happen. So we have we, – our lights are incandescent lights. It's dim in our house when our kids come home. The hot tub is on. We have a routine where we downshift them into being able to go to bed after these late practices. And by the way, it's tricky to manage all of this as a parent. Congratulations. So, it's tricky. Wait, so Kelly, so just out of curiosity, I mean, so you're 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 not making a big fuss over it as a parent. You're 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 aware of what they need and you're just doing it. And so your kids just see it as a, a lifestyle, meaning that when they come back from a, pra a hard practice, the lights are dim, the hot tubs on, like you're gearing them in these directions without pointing the finger and 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 saying, this is what you need to do. It's you're just creating it as this is what we do. This is like, what, that's, that's exactly right. We constrain the environment and we as adults are part of that environment. That's so what I like. Yep. You're we, part this of is, it. This is what we do. And so the, you know, it's not another choice and certainly not another fight. Oh my gosh. If you want right. to have a, a power struggle, you know? And so if my kids right. drink some of that protein shake and have a little snack, I'm like, Ooh, I just won as a parent like that. That is, that is the game. And then, as we said before, rinse, wash, repeat for a long, long time. And there are some days where we're like, wow, we just played terribly. I make my kids breakfast every day. I get up and make them breakfast because I guarantee you that, you know, my daughters will run out the door and just, you know, not have enough time when they're doing all this other yep. stuff. But if I make them breakfast, I've fed them during that day where I've gotten micronutrient in them. I gave them good vitamin Nordic berries. I give yep. them emergency to drink. I sneak collagen and creatine into their stuff. All of a sudden, it's a constraint. It's not a choice that they have to make. This is someone has fed me. That's like if, if I stayed up, you know, if, if Heidi and I stayed up till 11, there's no doubt that Haley would have stayed up. Um, but because there was, you know what, that was nothing else to do. And it's not like I'm pushing, you need to go to bed, but nope. she figured it out that's, that's right. right. And I think that's the best way, you know, that they can learn is, is you show by example. Yeah. I think that that's, that's a key piece that parents here's, here's, shouldn't here's be a, pushing it. They should no. be right. So, indirectly leading it. So you know, I'm, I'm kind of big on recovery. It's kind of a, you know, a thing around our house. And <laughs> is, it, is it almost like uh, your business too? Almost, almost. <laughs> Getting my kids to mobilize is like ripping their teeth out, right? So there's a couple of things that I found that work really well. The vibrating roller made by Hyper Ice is, makes the soft tissue work so much more pleasant for them. It's because rolling, like, it's basically like, hey, we're going to do 10 minutes of ice torture. It's so painful. Yeah. Right. And the other thing that I did is I stopped realizing that if I wanted my kids to have some soft tissue work, I did it to them. So now I am Caroline's body worker. And so, you know, she's growing and growing. growing. She grew like an inch in two months. She just was growing. Her knees were aching because she was growing so fast. And she basically has like pre-symptoms of like Oshkid slaughter. She doesn't have Oshkid slaughter. That's a symptom of what happens when kids grow really fast and then have yep. poor mechanics. So her knees are aching. So what do I do? Man, I got a, it's a, it's made by Abmat. It's a massage table of just mats that sits on the floor. And it's a lot more comfortable for my kid to be on this massage table on the floor so that I can work on her. So then I work on their calves and I get some crutches out and I stand on their quads and 
I just do the soft tissue work myself for 10 or 15 minutes. And guess what? All of a sudden we have much better adherence where the kids are like, Hey, can you work on me, dad? Hey, uh, my shoulder's a little stiff or my, my feel my hamstrings or my, and, and we've made it so that it's part of the solution. Instead of being like, take care of yourself, do the soft tissue work. As soon as you remove the barriers to adherence and you create the solution, then your kids will do those things. It, you know, that's really what this is all about. It's about, you know, saying, Hey, here's what I think is, not best practice, but good practice. And all we have to do is be in good practice for a long period of time, and it'll always work out. Because humans are really durable, and kids, I don't know if you know this, super durable. Super durable. You know, I want to be sensitive of both your guys' time, because I feel like all of us could sit and talk about kids and training for hours and hours and hours. <laughs> I feel like we're just starting to peel back this onion and this layer of something that's really special for, I think, you know, young athletes, parents, because I think a lot of people do have questions, including myself. And, and I'm living this every single day, but it's just, it's uncharted territory in terms of more exposures to there's the sports specific. Now there's this new form of sports specific CrossFitter. And I think a lot of parents have this question of how can I, maybe I got exposed to functional fitness and I, I like the, you know, factors. How do I start to layer that in? with this sports specific, because I do believe sports are so important for kids. And I think we're starting to kind of peel back that here with, with kind of bridging the gap between the two. I, and I just, I really appreciate these conversations. I mean, it's, we've gone back over an hour and I feel like we could just continue wow. to go on. And I think that Chris, your exposure to these young teen athletes looking to go to the CrossFit games, be at the pinnacle of that sport. And Kelly, with your experience across the board, I just think that these conversations can continue to evolve as you guys get more exposure to more kids and we do too. So I guess kind of some final closing thoughts before we come back on another, hopefully you guys will come back for an episode too. Uh, you know, any kind of final closing thoughts, you know, I feel like we touched on a lot today. Um, but maybe I'll start with you, Chris, like any, any kind of closing remarks for anybody listening, uh, aside from obviously going and checking out aerobic capacity, of course, if you're trying to enhance your coaching, if you're, if you're trying to, you know, be on uh, an endurance program, you got to go check out our boy, Chris Hinshaw, of course. But any other closing remarks on this particular subject and where you want to leave it off for next time? If I was listening out there, I would want to have a particular, like, tell me what I should be focusing on with my kids. And if I was going to break it down into age groups, I would say um, <clears throat> in that, you know, preteen, so like up to 10, 11, maybe even 12 years old, uh, before those big growth spurts, I would just, I would focus on learning how to train multiple movements. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't focus on any one particular type of, of activity or movement. Uh, and then from that age of 12 to, to around 16, I would focus on, on training. I would, I would really get those, those, the, the, the teen to, to focus on you know, developing more and more skill. Um, and if they want to spend more time doing one particular sport, I'd just be careful that they're diversifying with other types of movements during that phase. Once they, they pass 16, like into the 17, 18 years, um, I would focus on um, training to compete. Um, and then as they get into that 19, 20 years old, that's when I would train them to win. Um, and so I would look at it in that way where you're focusing on learning, 
Um, and then you would focus on just developing training protocols. Then you'd learn how to be a competitor and then you'd learn how to win and break it up into those phases. I would say there's two things I want to focus on. I want you to keep running this question at the end of high school. Will my kids still want to play, compete, work out, be active? Yes or no, one or zero. And that is the truth test and the true litmus test of all of the exposure that you've had. If kids are like, screw this, I'm never doing a sport again. I don't like it. Running feels bad. You know, I don't want to go play. My kids play spike ball at school like it's they're obsessed with it. Do I need to program any lateral movement for them? No, it's called spike ball. And uh, if you've never played spike ball, go ahead and Google it and you'll be like, oh, I see what you're Oh, yeah. hand-eye game. So understanding that my kids love to play, we love to ski, we love to be outdoors, we like to ride bikes. The only thing that I'll look at as a parent is do my kids continue to do those things and seek out communities that do those things? So we're, we're touring college with my oldest. We drive past, we're in Austin this weekend. We drive past a big beach volleyball court. George is like, oh, not only am I going to play club water polo, but beach volleyball looks like a game I could just jump right in and play. And I'm like, okay. So that's, you know, do my kids know how to take care of themselves physically? Do they know how to lift a weight? Do they know how to eat? Do they know how to sleep? Those are the goals of high school athletics to teach kids the foundations of being a moving person who likes to move and finds enjoyment and culture and community that way. That's the only one or zero. Yes or no. Do my kids do that? If you're, let me just, as a caveat, if your child is elite, don't worry, it will work out for them. They will go to college and play a college sport. There's no ambiguity there. They are so talented. Chris was such a talented athlete early on that it was obvious he was going to move on. That was so clear. So if you're not sure about your child, if they're elite or not, they're not elite. If they are really the chosen one, I promise you, you'll know your daughter is the chosen one. It's really simple to see. So it really has to be about, do my kids like to continue to move or do they find enjoyment? Otherwise, I made a mistake and I'm making a mistake. That, second, that, wait, wait, can I just add in there? I, I mean, I, I agree with you. I, I, that piece is so key because this, this, there's, there's so much like parenting about it. But if they don't specialize in high school, if they don't focus on a particular sport, they're never going to make it. And they show promise and we need to just focus on just this one piece and that i just it's it's not true that that like i i i one of the pieces i read a while ago was on the 2015 nfl combine and they took the the all the participants and it was over 300 of them and they asked him like did you only specialize in football during high school and only 13 percent of them did it showed that they were doing a variety although their sport was football they didn't exclusively focus on it. And they were still the best in the country. At That's football. correct. Right. They made it more sustainable, more fun overall. They probably didn't have right. as much pressure on just that one thing, right? They were able to kind of be a more well-rounded athlete. So don't worry. Your kid, if they're good, they're you're not going to miss an opportunity. Your kid right. will, it will automatically happen. I promise yep. you. Yeah, well the, said on that. I like that point one. <laughs> I love it. Unicorns, too. unicorns, no matter what color they are i promise they're unicorns right yeah. that you'll you'll discover the unicorn so play that long game do my kids like to move do they go outside do they play do they pick up do they do you like to play as a family and the second thing i would say if you're listening to this is 
Control your parents' stuff. Do your kids get enough protein? You know, are they getting 0.8 to 1 gram of protein per pound body weight? Yes or no? That's our recommendation for everyone who's growing or competing. And those are reasonable goals. And, and what you're going to realize is, well, my kids don't eat protein. You're like, okay, well, maybe let me introduce you to the protein shake. Let me introduce you to, you know, eating, you know, scrambled eggs and, and making sure your kids just get enough protein. Do they eat fruits and vegetables? Yes or no? One or zero. Do they sleep? Yes or no? One or zero. And when you start just controlling those things, a lot of the other things will just take care of themselves. We need to have a training part two on those components as well, right? Mm -hmm. Because there's so many factors. It's like, it's like at the gym. I mean, you guys have seen this at the gym. It's, it's like, um, I actually did a little short format podcast today on the piggy bank of fitness, just putting a couple of bucks in every day over many, many years Never do nothing. Gym versus, versus putting a hundred bucks in today and then not nothing tomorrow or whatever. And the theory is, is that I, I have new people come in the gym every day. I'm going to eat paleo. I'm going to come in seven days a week. And then after a month or two, they burn out. And you know, I, I think what, what really needs to happen is there needs to be this holistic approach to fitness every single day, a little, little something. But also if you think about it, and I know Chris gets this even more than anybody, Hey, your programming isn't working or maybe what no. I meant to say is like, bro, no, no, sorry, you don't get that. You'll hear like, Oh, my program isn't working. People yeah. instantly blame the thing that's outside their control. Right. And then you'll ask them, well, hang on a second. How is this? How is this? How is this? Right? So your, your kid isn't making improvements. Well, are they sleeping? Are they eating well? Are they recovering? And the programming is such an easy one to attack because it's something that you say, oh, it's the program's fault, right? Whoever's program, yeah. not, not yours, Chris. Yours you know, that's, that, that's really interesting, Shay. That's really, mm -hmm. I, I find that true is because, you know, the, the workouts that I prescribe, they're, they're all personalized. And so I'm, I'm prescribing distances, I'm prescribing the intensities and it, the, the type of recovery as well as the intensity in the recovery. And it's a math equation. An athlete should be able to do it unless those things that Kelly just mentioned are out of whack. And that is usually what is preventing them from advancing is that they're not sleeping well. They're not eating well. They're not mobilizing well. Amen. I think it's, I think it's that simple. I, I, I really appreciate that because, you know, I think what just to finally echo reiterate what Chris says, it's a math equation the highest levels of sports and performance, you know, we know what athletes should be able to handle and the volumes are high because everyone's working really hard. And if not, the first thing I do now is I turn around and say, show me, you have to show me, I need you to take Got a it. picture of all the food you're eating. I want you to track your sleep. I just don't believe that you can handle this kind of, of this kind of intensity and training. So, you know, again, it really comes back to, you know, in, are my athletes skilled enough at being human to go play more than anyone else can play? And that really is just as simple as it, as it boils down. I always love talking to you guys. I just, I love seeing your guys' faces too. It's just so good to see you guys. You know, you got Mr. Chris Hinshaw maybe moving back towards our hood, uh, Kelly. So not, not California, but West coast hood. We'll take and, it. Uh, yep. Pacific Northwest. Uh, the end up. Excellent. So when he comes back, we'll have to all get together in person. But I, I would really – so first off, I really appreciate you guys' time. I think you guys have a, a wealth of knowledge to unpack. And I, I'd like to keep this conversation going more and more and more in regards to all the different areas that we're talking about here. But I just think the subject of getting kids moving and training, it's, it's very it's, – it's scary for me. So I know it's scary for other parents too. 
And I think the more we talk about it, the more it's kind of like it brings it down to like um, something digestible for people. And um, let's face yeah. it, Jay, you reach out to me for help with your kids. I mean, and why, why would another parent think that they've got it figured out? I mean, you're tapping into your resources as well. Oh yeah. It's funny. You'd all hit up Chris and be like, dude, Caden's running technique. Ah, it's, not, it's not, it's not ideal. What, what can we do about this? And oh my God, Kelly, you, boy, it, dude, the he, house, learned that, he learned that somewhere. Uh, Jay, the house was shaking. The house was shaking on the treadmill. I mean, I've never seen a kid hit that thing so hard with it's like, but it was Jay. Oh dude. It was yeah. incredible. But I love that you asked. Well, I, because I, I have a vested interest in trying to, you know, like you guys, like we all talk about, right? We, we as coaches never want to look back and say, oh, you know, we could have done better for this athlete, but you make the best decision you can at, at the time, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, Chris and I, you and I spoke about this the other day, but same thing with parenting. I don't want to look back and be like, man, I, I could have done a better job mm -hmm. finding their potential as an athlete or their potential in, you know, so many other areas that are, you know, very, very important. And I feel like the more we seek out experts and at least start challenging what we were taught or, or not challenging, but but evolving from what we were taught, I think is going to be really helpful because I do question myself. Like if I've been exposed to certain things at an earlier age, what could have happened in different sports? Now I'm happy with where things are at. I'm just saying, I, I, I'm curious for myself, what we could do to, to better enhance the kids. And I know that you guys are on the exact same field. So the, through the conversations, I could pick up something from Kelly, like, dude, maybe I do need to add in a little slack line. You know, I have a, I have a pull up, you know, we have all this stuff in the garage, but we don't have enough place inside the house. That's something we could do. Um, you know, plus a bunch of other stuff we're talking about. So, um, well, gentlemen, like I said, I want to be sensitive to your guys' time. I always appreciate talking to you guys. I want to do a session too, at some point when it works for your guys' schedule, make sure to check out everything that's happening at the ready state. Those guys, I mean, I love Kelly. What you guys are doing at the ready state is is second to none. You work with professional athletes, but you work with everyday people. You work with everybody in between, and you create a lot of tools to help them. And we're so committed. We're now on TikTok. So, yeah, you're, and you're and so you committed. fixed and you fixed my shoulder. <laughs> I, we had one conversation. You fixed your own shoulder, Chris. No, 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 no. I had that shoulder problem for a year, and you come in, and four weeks later, it's better. I thought I needed surgery seven different times and Kelly just tells me I need this. And, uh, Oh, isn't that yeah. funny? Coaches need coaches. Yeah. You're in a cabal parents. It's okay to create a coaching community. It's okay to talk about this with other coaches. You know, it, this is, you cannot do it yourself, nor should you do it yourself. That's mm -hmm. what we're telling to tell you here. We're trying to give you better information and better access. So use your own coaching group, own parent group to have the next conversation. And everything with aerobic capacity, make sure you go hit up our boy, Chris Hinshaw. Go see all the fascinating things. He has seminars all over the world, I should say. Just got brought back on uh, as a CrossFit SME. Congratulations, Chris. Um, and gentlemen, let's uh, let's stay tuned for another episode. But thank you so much for your guys' time. Thank you, Thanks, everybody, Jay. for listening. Thanks, Jay. And let's keep getting after it. Good to see you guys.